0: abrupt intro ending welcome in it's a john cast podcast episode number 71 thanks for joining me and congratulations to listener aj who just won the grand prize of my last giveaway aj got hooked up with some college football tickets for the home opener in madison also the home opener in volleyball in madison as well so he's going to go check out some fun events this weekend and aj gets one year's worth of delicious ian's Pizza. Thank you to Ian's Pizza. Three locations in Madison and three in Milwaukee. You should go check out Ian's, and they are hiring delivery drivers. A guaranteed rate of $20 per hour for their delivery drivers. Go check out Ian's website for more details. They are hiring delivery drivers. Also, thank you to me and Julia, who also supports this podcast as well. They are located in Fitchburg, just off Fish Hatchery Road, and they've got the best margaritas in town, and they've got margarita specials on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Also check out their monthly food specials at Me and Julio. Heck, go check out the big uh, home opener uh, on Saturday night at Me and Julio. Or go check out the volleyball opener. I'm sure they can get that on the B- on Big Ten Network as well when they drop the banner, banner that is on Friday night. Me and Julio in Fitchburg, also Wine Wednesdays. Go check out Me and Julio and sign up for my newsletter at johncastpodcast.com. All right, enough of that. My guest today covers the University of Wisconsin and their athletic department for The Athletic. He also loves Mike Messina. Welcome, Jesse Temple of The Athletic to the podcast. What's up, Jesse? Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. That's a random tidbit that most people probably don't know and completely useless. (laughs) It's exactly what it is. It's completely useless. Nobody probably cares, but I care Cause I think that's kind of cool. How did your love affair <laughs> with Mike Messina develop? Maybe the wrong term there.
1: Uh, I think he was, I, I was maybe seven or eight and I got a pack of baseball cards. I was in the collecting way back when, and there it was a Mike Messina card. I, I want to say it was 1992, which was his second year in the league. And it just happened to be a really good year for him. And I lived in Kansas city at the time. So whenever the Baltimore Orioles would come in town, I'd go watch and something magical happened that year. It stuck with me for Decades after that, to the point that I actually attended his Hall of Fame induction ceremony a few years ago with my
0: dad and my brother-in-law is kind of the completion and culmination of the boyhood fandom. It's so funny how these random moments affect us so much because I kind of had that same deal with a baseball player. It's because I got Ryan Sandberg in a pack of cards and I, I must have gotten two of them or something. I don't know. But all of a sudden I had 200 of them a couple of years later. It's so funny how random sometimes those things are of who we, as we grow up, like who we kind of follow. So Mike Messina was was kind of your go-to person, I'm assuming. Yeah, they're.
1: it's funny you mentioned the baseball cards. Um, I actually have in the room that I'm in, I, I think all the Mike Messina baseball cards I collected over the years. There was a certain point in the mid-90s where I knew every card that existed. I would go to the trade shows that were in town and just yeah. get for 50 cents or $3 or whatever it was, the cards that I didn't have it's fun to have that when you're a kid and yeah. it kind of
0: fades over time. <laughs> well, not for me. It reignites apparently three years ago and kind of is staying with me, but how, how have you been? I haven't talked to you in a while. I'm good, man. Um, took a lot of time off during the summer to kind of uh,
1: reset, played a lot of golf. It's good to get outside. It's good to get away and not be on your phone or your computer and not really think about your job. So now I'm back because
0: Hey, there's a football season. (laughs) There's a football season to cover, and you'll be busy over the next 12 or 13 plus weekends. Um, And I want to talk a little bit and preview this Badger football squad for those getting ready for the season as well. But I got to talk about the tweet that I saw, your most recent tweet, uh, one of your most recent tweets. is in fact one that you pinned, I believe, or retweeted at the top of your uh, account. It's talking about Bucky Badger being Bucky Badger, what life's really like in Wisconsin's mascot fraternity, fraternity. <laughs> um, what made you to write about
1: Bucky Badger? Uh, we've been encouraged this season to have a little bit more fun. Um, I think the last couple of years were a bit of a drain on the fun, just with everything going on globally and college football. And so uh, that was my fun story for the, the off season and the preseason was what's it like to really be Bucky Badger? And the cool thing about that was if I called somebody who was a former Bucky and say, hey, can you lead me in the direction of some other former Bucky's? Everybody had a phone number and, and it led to <laughs> a few different generations of people being Bucky. And really it's the hilarious story. So the things that stand out and, and also the fact that it's become a brotherhood. I mean, one, there's one guy who was a Bucky and about a decade ago and he got married in 2018 and, and 25 people at the wedding were former mascots, not only Bucky Badger, <laughs> like at Minnesota, LSU, Colorado, Michigan State, three of his groomsmen were former Bucky Badgers and the fourth was a former Sparty at Michigan State. So these guys really get to know each other. And when you're in costume, you're just kind of a different person. So it'll be It's. I think the purpose of why I wrote it for this week was when you go to the season opener or you see it on TV when Wisconsin plays Illinois State on Saturday night. You're going to see a Bucky Badger running out the flag and doing all sorts of crazy antics. Well, there's an actual human being in there, and they've got a story to tell. So that was that's kind of why I told that story.
0: Yeah, and I love the hook you get. It, people, if you haven't got a subscription to the Athletic or if you haven't seen that what I'm talking about, uh, you, you quote uh, one of the Bucky's. It's the only time in my entire life that I've rooted against Wisconsin football. We're up by 40, and all of a sudden the other team throws a pick six, and I'm upset about it. I censored that. Uh, it's like, really? Was that really necessary? Because now. The Bucky's gonna have to start doing push-ups, right? Yeah, that guy in particular—he was uh, had the fortune or misfortune
1: of being one of two Buckies to work the 2010 football game against Northwestern. That was the regular season finale when Wisconsin wound up winning 70 to 23, mm. and they they clinched the Big Ten title, co Big Ten title, going to the Rose Bowl. So everyone's celebrating. But this dude is out here having to do a push-up every time they <laughs> score a touchdown, and and. He ended up doing 315 push-ups just with his portion of the game. He had the entire third quarter. They scored, what was it, 56, 63, and 70 points. Uh, So it's a lot of work. And that was also the same Bucky who headbutted an overzealous Ohio State fan in 2011 when the Buckeyes won uh, in the last minute in Columbus. There was a guy who was just giving him guff, and he he got really upset. Um, So there's just funny stuff that happens. There was a mascot who got – basically arrested and kicked out because the student section picked him up and, and body passed him I and mean, you're not allowed to body pass. So even if you're Bucky, that's why Bucky doesn't go in the stands anymore. And he got kicked out and fined
0: $181. <laughs> so Bucky got kicked out because the students picked him up. Correct. Oh my goodness. That's see, these are the untold stories of a Bucky Badger 315 pushups. That's, that's all. I mean, I know Bucky really doesn't do full legit up ups Cause I don't think he can with the nose and the face and everything like that, but that's still a lot of moving for 315. That's a, that's a really interesting read. Uh, all right, Jesse, you got to tell me what's up with chase Wolf badger backup quarterback is injured. What do we know about his injury? How long could be out? What's this mean for badger football?
1: Yeah. So chase Wolf suffered a torn meniscus in his knee. Um, source that I talked to said that happened Friday in practice and he underwent surgery on Monday, so that was a success and the timetable is really unknown at this point now. Paul Christ was asked about it at his weekly news conference on Monday and confirmed that he was hurt said he didn't know on the timetable. My source says that it can be anywhere from what six weeks to four months um so that's a pretty wide variance in in the course of a football season. I don't know if we're going to see Chase Wolf on the field this season, certainly if it's on the short end and potentially he could be back later on in the season. But otherwise, this this may be it for him. He's a fifth-year senior. Now, he could have the option of coming back. If I suppose if the program wanted him back and he wanted to come back, I don't know whether he'd want to go that route as a sixth-year senior or if Wisconsin would want to move on. But it's a shame for him. He's been in the program for an awful long time, obviously. He's been a career backup. You see a lot of backups in college football today. They want to go somewhere else so they can play. And I just wrote a story about him a few weeks ago. I talked to him about this, and he said that Wisconsin basically became his dream school once he got here. He didn't grow up a college football fan. He's from the Cincinnati area. He's kind of into Xavier basketball. But when he came to Wisconsin, he realized that this was a place that he wanted to be, and it wasn't just about quick playing time. It was about everything that came with coming to the university. So that's exactly what you look for uh, as a fan in a a player that you want to root for. is someone who stuck it out through thick and thin and wanted to be a part of the program. And and he's not going to have that opportunity, at least for the foreseeable future, to be on the field in any capacity.
0: So that means it is more so than ever Graham Mertz's show uh, at quarterback. How much do you believe that this puts more pressure uh, on Graham Mertz to perform at a better level than he has in the past? Honestly, I don't think it changes anything. And he was asked
1: about whether he would feel any sense of added pressure or really just a sense of more responsibility. Like if you're escaping the pocket, do you think more about what you do there? Because if you get hurt, Wisconsin's quarterback situation is uh, not ideal behind him at this point. And, and I mean, he's not going to play any differently and I don't think it really it matters for him in the sense that he was going to be the starter no matter what um, I think he's going to go into the season with an awfully long leash. Even if chase Wolf was healthy, Graham's clearly been the, the number one quarterback here and the staff is rolling with him. But obviously, it just kind of highlights the importance of what Graham means to this offense and to this team this season. The defense, they're going to be great. The offensive line and run game, they're going to be pretty darn good, maybe even great. But it it really only matters for Wisconsin to take that next step if Graham Mertz can elevate the passing game, and that remains to be seen right now.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, can he do that? Where is his confidence right now, would you say? So the confidence question is thrown around a lot. Graham is probably the most
1: confident guy I've met in a long time, not just mm-hmm. as a quarterback at any position. I, I would say on the flip side, though, what, what are you going to ask him? Uh, so how's your confidence? What's he going to tell you? Well, it's really <laughs> shaking. I don't <laughs> yeah. know if I can play quarterback at the college level anymore. But I do give him credit that he's got full belief in himself. He certainly puts in the work and the time and everything to be the best quarterback that he can be. We heard a lot of this last year too about how his confidence wasn't shaken during times of crisis on the field. Um, But all that matters and I think what really matters to Badgers fans is they're tired of hearing about these, these conversations. They want to go see it on the field. So the confidence is there. I I actually think Graham is going to be a better quarterback this season than he's, than he's been to this point, but does that mean Wisconsin can win the big 10 West and compete for a conference championship? I don't know. And I don't really know that we're going to get an answer against Illinois State on Saturday night. At the end of the month, Wisconsin's going to Columbus to play Ohio State, which is the litmus test for basically every Big Ten program. Mm-hmm. But it's time to see what Bobby Ingram's offense looks like. What do these new wide receivers do with Graham Mertz, and how does Graham play?
0: Yeah, yeah, it should be interesting because this is this is the time for Mertz to, to hopefully finally put it together. Like you said, I think... I think, uh, Badger fans are just waiting for like this quarterback that they, and maybe those expectations are a result of their, you know, their own expectations that perhaps we put too much on Graham Mertz. I'm not sure where that fault lies, but, uh, as far as Mertz, where does he rank among some of the players you look out, look at this season, uh, as those who could have like breakout seasons, where, where would Mertz rank in that whole scheme of, of players?
1: Well, in terms of players uh, that you would say it's the most important that they have a breakout season, he would be number one. Be number um, one. Okay. But that's just because of the position that he plays and, and the pieces that Wisconsin, I think, has as a program. What's holding the Badgers back? It's can they get a quarterback to have a, even if it's a Scott Tolzien type of year from 2009 or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Tolzien in 2010. Had a really good year. They won the Rose Bowl. But if you can have a quarterback who throws 16 touchdowns and 10 or 11 picks or something, that's a marked improvement over what Graham has done last year. He threw more interceptions than touchdowns, and he got better over the course of the season. A lot of those picks came early in the year, um, especially when Wisconsin was behind. But he's the number one most important. Having said that, there's a lot of other breakout candidates, and I, I wrote recently a list of who I felt was in good position to to have a breakout year, but I view breakout more in terms of someone who didn't really play very much last season and will now be a huge focal point of the team. Um, So Graham's situation is a little bit different. He's been a two-year starter. He started 20 career games. He's 13 and seven in those starts. It's interesting when you mentioned before sort of the expectations people had for him and whether it's fair or not, he's not the one who, gave himself the four-star rating and made him the highest ranked quarterback ever. Now he certainly embraced it. And when he committed to Wisconsin and, and recommitted after all those other schools came in and offered him, he said that he wanted to win a natty at Wisconsin, win a national championship. So the the bar was set high. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you go back and think about this, and this was something else I wrote about last month uh, after talking to Graham at big 10 media days in Indianapolis. Yeah yeah I don't know if he was ever going to meet those expectations but his high school coach told me coming into college that he basically said I would be surprised that with Graham Mertz playing the way that he is if Wisconsin isn't in the national championship game in the next four or five years well Wisconsin's never been in the national championship game was Graham going to be better than Russell Wilson even Russell Wilson couldn't get Wisconsin into the national championship <laughs> game there were, other factors for that the defense obviously giving up a lot of points at inopportune moments but at this point I think Graham is in a spot where I don't think he's ever going to meet what those expectations were he's I I don't believe he's going to be a Heisman Trophy winner or Heisman finalist or a first team All-American but he can still be a very good quarterback that helps Wisconsin win games and and potentially win a conference championship so It's an interesting dynamic of where Graham Mertz is at in his career. I called it a bit of a crossroads in my story because he hasn't met expectations and people are disappointed in him. But that doesn't mean that he can't still do something special here. He's got time.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important point, that he does have time. And I talked to his high school coach, too, uh, before the the game against Illinois when he first – that was his first start, if I'm not mistaken – And, you know, talking to his high school coach, you get this as a fan and I'm listening as a part fan part interviewing this, this coach. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, Graham Mertz is the real deal, because the thing that the coach told us during that time was um, the Graham Mertz you see on that first game is not going to be the Graham Mertz that you see the rest, of. like he'll only get better. And of course he goes for like all these school records and I think it was like five touchdowns. And so I'm thinking, okay, obviously he can't get better than that, but that's a good start. And it just never really materialized after that. So yeah, all eyes, all eyes, I guess you could say a badger nation really mm-hmm. are on Graham Mertz this season.
1: Yeah. It's the way that he wants it. And it's, it's the way that any quarterback would want it. And now it's time to go out and prove it. Yeah, <laughs> talking season is over; it's playing
0: season. <laughs> talking season. Uh, what'd you think of the uh, the depth chart that Wisconsin released? I think that was the other day. I think that was yesterday. Obviously, they got Chase Wolf there at number. Oh, you got it right in front of you. Got Chase it right May- here. You know, yeah. You what never stands out the most? Inaccurate. To
1: you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there were a few things that stood out. M- nothing overly surprising, I suppose, but. On offense, Riley Maulman at right tackle, and maybe Wisconsin is one of the few places where you go right to the offensive line too deep, but right. Riley Mallman won the right tackle job over Logan Brown, and that's notable because Logan was a five-star prospect in the 2019 recruiting class. He was the first five-star signing the Badgers had in 12 years, and expectations, kind of like Graham Mertz it was in the same recruiting class, were astronomical for him, and this was going to be his year to to have that opportunity to win the job. He had the number one role in spring practice, and and Riley kind of overtook him in fall camp, and kudos to Riley. This is a guy who was a four-star prospect, the number one player in Minnesota in the 2020 recruiting class. It speaks to how much talent there is in the group that you can be a five-star guy and get passed by someone else who's awfully good. Um, I think the offensive line has a chance to be outstanding this year. The running game as well, with Malusi and Isaac Arendo healthy to assist Braylon Allen, uh, they're going to get a lot of touches. Defensively, there were a couple, couple different. Changes, especially at inside linebacker, that was one that a lot of people were looking at because Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn, they were the best inside linebacker tandem in the country last season, and they they left obviously, so Wisconsin had to replace that. Jordan Turner and Muma Jongmeta are the the first team inside linebackers to open the season. I think Turner has a chance to be the next star at that position. He only played twenty four snaps last season, and he still managed six tackles and two interceptions. So if he got in the game, he was going to make a play. And Moom has been around for a few years as well, so he's earned that spot. Overall, there's not a bunch of huge surprises, but in general, I think they've got one of the best defenses in the country yet again. I don't know that they'll replicate statistically what that group did last year, but the pieces are in place here for Wisconsin to be really good. It just always comes back to the quarterback in the passing game.
0: By the way, I love that the first thing you did on the depth chart was go to the offensive line because, like you said, that's such a Wisconsin type of thing to do. And you mentioned Braylon Allen. So last season, Allen, 1,200 yards rushing, 12 uh, scores. Did not catch a touchdown, so only eight receptions. And I remember, you know, Jonathan Taylor. I'm just comparing to another great running back. You saw Taylor, if I'm not mistaken, kind of elevate the the that part of his game receiving uh, as his career went on. Will we should we expect some of that then from Braylon Allen too, or what's his next steps to to get even better than that fantastic freshman season he had? I think it's just learning everything about. How to be a running back at the college level yeah honestly
1: I feel like last year was more on sheer natural ability because the guy wasn't going to come in as a running back as as people listening may remember he was going to be a a safety and then he was 240 pounds and so he was going to be a linebacker and then he had a spring season as a senior and he played running back and just destroyed everybody because of course Braylon would (laughs) and then he asked coaches what do you think about me playing running back and they thought hey that's a good idea And he really wasn't, he didn't even play the first four games. So I feel like last year was just almost learning on the fly. And now he's had a full off season. And Paul Chris talked about this on Monday. You've got a year where you can watch your own tape, where you can see what you did on the field as a Badger. So I think he'll be better as a runner and in protection as well, which is something he's talked about. Running backs obviously have to block. How many catches will he get this year? That's tough to know. Uh, I do recall in earlier fall camp practice where, They were making a concerted effort, it felt like, to go through drills and have the top three tailbacks, Braylon, Ches, and Isaac, run routes and catch passes. Um, That doesn't necessarily always translate to huge numbers during the season, but I just thought it was notable. Maybe Chez and Isaac provide a little bit more in the passing game because they're speedsters, but this is something that was a focus, as you said, with Jonathan Taylor going into his junior year in 2019. I remember talking to him about it and, and running backs coach John Settle at the time that, Those are touches that he could still get without having to absorb the type of contact that he would running through the hole. So you may have 30 fewer carries in a given year, but you might have just as many touches because you're catching the ball in space. That could be a way to save somebody over the course of the season. And and we know that Braylon dealt with some injuries last year and they really rode with him and mostly only him late in the season after Malusi and Garenda were hurt. So I can certainly see them getting him involved a bit more in the passing game. But with him, I think it's just being a better overall running back. And the sky is clearly the limit for him. He's he averaged six and a half plus yards a carry last season. And I think
0: he'll do the same this year. Mm. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Mertz in the matchup against Ohio State, I believe, in the first Big Ten opener. You mentioned something about that here during this interview. When you look at the schedule, is that the game? I mean, obviously, the the schedule plays out as it does and storylines develop. So it's impossible to tell the first three weeks just, you know, what we're in store for against uh, Illinois State, Washington State, and New Mexico State. But it, when you look at the schedule, is it all kind of start, if you can get through those first three games like you hope to, that it, it all kind of comes down to, and it's, I hate to say that, but the first Big Ten game of the season is going to be a real tone setter, perhaps is the best way to put that. I'd say that is a good way
1: to use it, uh, to phrase it. I mean, look, if they lose at Ohio State, uh, a lot of people go in and lose at Ohio State. A lot of people lose at home to Ohio State. Um, It doesn't mean Wisconsin can't go on and maybe play the Buckeyes again in the Big Ten Championship. We've seen in previous years, even in Paul Christ's tenure earlier in the season, Wisconsin lost to Michigan and Ohio State and came all the way back, won their West Division games. But it's the litmus test. It's it's the measuring stick to see where are you at as a program. Wisconsin has been close over the years. 2019 Big Ten Championship game, 2017 Big Ten Championship game. There's been an overtime game at home in 2016. But they haven't beaten the Buckeyes since 2010. And that's an awful long time. So if you're going to take that next step as a program, you got to beat the best team in the league um, or what has generally been the best team in the league. I know Michigan got the better of the Buckeyes last year and won the Big Ten. But, yeah, that's the game that you circle and you say, okay, where are you at, Wisconsin? Can you compete with them? And I don't know that that many people believe the Badgers can go down there and win, but what if they did? That certainly changes the trajectory of your season. I don't think it's the make-or-break game. As I said, they can lose and still come back. If I'm looking at the schedule, their road schedule is extremely difficult because the rest of the road games are at Northwestern Never an easy place to play for whatever reason. Wisconsin has struggled there for a long time at Michigan State, which opens the season at number 15, had a great year under Mel Tucker last year. And then the last two road games are at Iowa and at Nebraska. And even though Nebraska hasn't been particularly good for quite some time, I don't know that that's going to be easy. I think the game to look at is that Iowa game in, in Iowa City on November 12th, because those are the two teams in my mind, Wisconsin and Iowa, that are. The ones you think have the best chance to win the West
0: division and whichever team wins that is probably going to be in the driver's seat. I'm glad to bring up the West division because I want to talk about the ever changing landscape of the big 10 conference and maybe kind of put on our prediction hats when UCLA, USC join and maybe even when a few other schools join and we've got like what, 20 teams in the big 10. And I guess my thought process here is I kind of just look to the future a, a little bit because um, it's fun to do is. Where is Wisconsin in this new Big Ten? Like, let's say the conference forms and you've got your West division, you've got your Midwest, you've got your East, and you've got a fourth division or whatever, and they split up in four and there's like five teams in each conference, 20 teams in the entire, or five teams in each division, 20 teams in the entire conference. How does that affect Wisconsin? What will Wisconsin's hierarchy be in the new Big Ten as you look toward the future? Yeah, that's an interesting question.
1: Obviously, as of now, with UCLA and USC joining, it's going to be a 16-team Big Ten league, and things can always change. Notre Dame Big Ten would certainly welcome the Fighting Irish. That would give them 17 teams. They've had an odd number of teams before. There used to be 11 before Nebraska joined. All this has never made sense to me. If you're (laughs) if you didn't know anything about college football or college sports, by the way, like let's say you were from out of the country or followed soccer or something. And the Big Ten is going to have 16 teams, and the Big 12 had 10 teams. And it used to be the Pac-8, now it's Pac-12. It's like, what in the hell is going on? It's very difficult to keep track of. That, that's an aside, though. Uh, where, <laughs> what is,
0: so what is
1: Wisconsin's place? Um, I don't know how much it changes, really, um, other than now you've got two big brand names on the West Coast coming in. Wisconsin to me is a program that's going to be consistently good for the foreseeable future. That's one thing that I think is maybe gets lost and when fans grumble about that. The Badgers haven't taken that next step. They also haven't had a three and nine season, which you see plenty of programs do. I think they're just, they'll continue to do what they do and be good at what they do. I don't know how much this changes the ceiling for Wisconsin, as long as there's going to be Ohio state in there. Um, you know, I think that it's going to be really difficult and it's going to take the perfect season for Wisconsin to break in. Now, what's really going to change things if we're talking about the college football landscape is playoff expansion, Mm -hmm. because if there's eight teams or 12 teams, then Wisconsin's got a legitimate shot in not just once in a blue moon, I think to be a playoff team. But as long as the current format is there, you know, they're going to have to win the Big Ten and they're going to have to beat ohio state or a team playing at that level so i don't know i I guess to answer your question in this rambling response here is i I don't know how much the two teams coming in change kind of the hierarchical structure for wisconsin because they're still going to be good but a changing of the playoff situation would would change where wisconsin is i think in college football
0: it's a good point about you know, like Ohio State's still going to be that team. like no matter you know who you add, yeah. depending on it's still likely to be beat Ohio State. So that doesn't doesn't change. I don't know. Do you like the I like the concept. I was talking to a friend about this, Jesse. I like the concept that, uh, and I'm thinking once again, expanded playoffs and everything like that that you'll have hypothetically these four divisions. So it's almost like a pro model, right? In the sense that we follow the NFC North around these parts. and, we care about games against the Vikings and the Lions and the Bears, and you watch the Packers mm-hmm. and where they fall, and then where do they fall in the playoffs? And if 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 college football can get to this point where it almost mimics that, right? Where Wisconsin can win its division and still make the 16 team, you know, playoffs with the the redesigned SEC, the third super conference of the the rest of them, you know, type of thing. And if we can design this where you can win your division almost like like in the NFL, you know, and you can automatically qualify for a playoff spot. Like the more I think about the way it's headed, like that makes me excited. If, if I'm able to watch Wisconsin make a 16 team playoff and maybe one year, they're one of the top seeds and they can host or whatever. And they take on somebody from the sec or that third conference, whoever they decide, decide to, you know, make the automatic bids and whatnot. Like that excites me. Like to think that that is almost like the pro model, but at the college level, I'm getting more and more used to that. And like you said, if they do it and expand the playoffs and Wisconsin's getting in, you know, on a consistent basis, you know, air quotes here, like, I think that's going to be a lot of fun as a sports fan. Yeah. It's an interesting discussion because there's a part
1: of me that thinks they're in a five or six team conference and it's like a big 10 West type thing and Wisconsin dominates, but they're not really playing the best teams that it feels watered down to get into a playoff over something like that. Mm -hmm. And, at the same time where college football is at now with a 14 playoff, it's almost like the bowl games aren't completely meaningless. They mean something to the kids. They have an opportunity to go play in a venue that they wouldn't otherwise play. But it's almost like if you don't get into the 14 playoff, it sort of feels like the bowl games don't mean anything. So, what's the answer here? <laughs> if you're playing out this season, but you don't get in the playoff, or if you're playing a season where you're getting into the playoff as one of the last teams, but you, you have a shot, even if you are not that great of a team that year, I don't know. Um, but,
0: look, but but real way, quick, because this, yeah. this happens in the, in the pros, like you may sure. have a matchup where you didn't play the best team. Like you just didn't do it. You're 10 and seven or whatever. You make the playoffs and you know, you, you kind of get proven to be a team that didn't have the toughest schedule, or maybe you weren't the best, or maybe you were that record because of your schedule. I guess my point is like, I, I see that in the pros a lot. We're like, well, they didn't even play this this team yet, or they're going to get killed by that team. But it's well, still fun to follow your team to make the playoffs. Yeah, that that
1: is true. And maybe if this had been a part of college football for a long time, I I think differently about it. You're absolutely right. How many times do you see the eight seed in the NBA East that went forty and forty two? <laughs> they're a playoff team. Um, and maybe they give the one seed a run. And every once in a while, you do see an upside like that. And if you're a fan of that eight seed, then it's certainly a lot of fun. Now, does that water down the playoffs? I don't know. Um, if that's been, the, if that's how it's been for decades, then maybe you right. feel I, a little bit. It, it, a little it, I mean, by the way, there would be some blowouts, right? You expand. Well, this football. is the other thing about college football too, is like, let's be real. There's four or five teams that can win the national championship every year. So what is the point of a 16 team? playoff? Those <laughs> most of those teams have no shot. And, I don't know. I I sound jaded and like get off my lawn type. So maybe I should stop Um, there. Games will be played. Money will be made and hopefully I'll be able to chronicle it. So
0: no matter (laughs) how many teams are in the playoff, as long as there's college football, hopefully I'll be able to write about it. Right. It should be really interesting to see how the conferences shape out, how the playoff structure shapes out, because I really think there's an opportunity here um, to make this uh, like the level two of the, you know, just a step below the, just like college, but the pros, you know, it's the same type of structure almost, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And yeah, you're going to get some, some blowouts that way, but it's also going to be cool if they decide to do it that way. We've always talked about uh, an idea like this, Jesse, where an sec team will have to come to a big 10 school in that first round of the playoffs, right. If they structure it like that as well. And, and even, um, as gimmicky as that may seem to some people, I think I would buy into that gimmick because I would love to see the South come up North or the North have to go down South. Like, I think that'd be fantastic. It would be great for college
1: football to see games like (laughs) that because now you only see the neutral site games and Hey, I think we're all just grateful for that, that Wisconsin is going to play Alabama in a two game series or, or is in the midst of playing Notre Dame or played LSU. But you don't get to see them at cap camp Randall uh, you, I guess you will for the Alabama series. But my point is generally speaking, when those matchups happen, it's at some NFL stadium on a neutral site. And wouldn't that be cool for an SEC team to cut SEC team to come up somewhere in December. And uh, what's football look like when it's 27
0: degrees. Uh,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It might even might even snow that day. You never know, especially up up in the upper Midwest like this. Um Hey, I, I did want to ask. You, I don't know if I've ever asked you. How did you get into what you're doing? Like, how did you get into the the path of being a, a writer? Was that something you always wanted to do? Always loved sports. Was one of those kids that played everything
1: that I could. Um, honestly, never really cared about much else. Like, if if I had a newspaper, I probably shouldn't admit this. I would just go to the sports section. Um, I don't know. I wanted I, I wanted to be around sports at a certain point every person who's an athlete realizes they're not going to be a professional i stretched it as far as i could i played division three basketball um but i I was good at writing and i liked sports initially i thought it was going to be maybe sports casting so didn't didn't wind up doing that i wrote for the student paper and it kind of went from there and then I went to graduate school to University of Kansas for a, a degree in journalism and got some good real-world experience working part-time at the Daily Paper in Lawrence, Kansas, got an internship covering the Chicago White Sox for MLB.com, which was part of why I went to Kansas, because I knew they had a good reputation for churning out uh, those interns. And my first job was covering uh, high school sports in Muncie, Indiana, at the newspaper there. That was in 2009. And I moved to Madison two years later in 2011 at the time for fox sports wisconsin to cover the badgers football and basketball because that's kind of what i had grown up wanting to do is be a division one football and basketball beat writer um and i've been here ever since this is my fourth outlet now in madison uh turns out it's it's not easy for these outlets to stick around Uh, there's been a lot of changes but i'm certainly grateful to still be doing
0: this so that's the cliff's notes version so you were never so your connections to uh, to Wisconsin only came from you getting that job in twenty eleven. Yes, absolutely zero. I remember getting a one paragraph email from a former professor of mine at
1: Kansas that Fox Sports Wisconsin, I think at the time, was looking for a Green Bay Packers writer, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Well, I'm not really that interested in that." I, I professional sports was just like not my greatest aspiration to cover, but I'll send it anyway. And then in the conversations, because Fox Sports Wisconsin was still new, I learned that they didn't have a badgers writer and I was like well I think I'd like to do that. So I had never been to Madison until I accepted the job and had to go find an apartment. Um which wow. I, to be honest, pretty scary going downtown for the first time with all those one-way streets and having no idea where you are or how to get anywhere. Uh but it turns out Madison's a great place and it's it's not so bad to get around.
0: No. Hey, why didn't you want to cover pro sports? Uh
1: you know, I covered the White Sox for uh, the 2009 season and I think I just learned uh, it it just wasn't for me honestly i think there's something to the idea that uh the pro athletes make more money in a day than you probably do in a year although now with nil you could maybe say the same thing about the college athletes but it just it just feels like you can and people who cover pro beats could speak to this and maybe feel differently about that you could develop better relationships maybe when they're in high school and college because that's the other thing about covering college kids is you don't just start covering them if if you cover them the way I do when they get on campus, you, you cover them when they're in high school. So you develop relationships with them that way and with their family. So I don't know. I just, I never really had these great, I, I don't know, but sp- professional sports
0: for me, wasn't the end game. No, no, that's, that's uh that's a cool look at it uh, as well. So what's, uh, what are you working on next? What's uh, coming up next here as we get ready for the season opener?
1: Well, I've got a, a story called, Truth or Myth, where I look at some some big key storylines for Wisconsin and be a good radio segment uh, yeah, and debate kind of whether segment. whether I believe that is a, tr- a true statement or, or a false statement. Uh, I'm working on that um, as we speak. And uh, we'll have a mailbag answering reader questions that runs later in the week and the season opener is Saturday night. So I'll be at Camp Randall Stadium and chronicling everything we see. And, and off we go for 12 of the next 13 Saturdays.
0: And maybe 13 of the next 14 if they're good and playing the Big Ten Championship. Perfect. There goes all your golfing. It's done. It's over. Yes. Um, at, <laughs> at Jesse Temple on Twitter, J-E-S-S-E-T-E-M-P-L-E. Any other um, social media you want to plug? No, I think we're good, man. I appreciate okay. you having me on. Yeah, go follow Jesse. Go follow The Athletic. Go read all the stories about Bucky doing 300-plus push-ups or about the depth chart or about Chase Wolf. It's It's all there. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks so much, John. All right, there you go. That is Jesse Temple of The Athletic. Thank you to Jesse for jumping on the podcast. A reminder, uh, AJ is our winner of the giveaway. Congratulations, AJ. You get the one year's worth of Ian's Pizza and the tickets to the college football and the college volleyball games uh, coming up this weekend. Stay tuned, uh, johncastpodcast.com as you sign up for the newsletter. And I'll keep you up to date with the next promotion that we're going to be doing. But thanks to Jesse Temple for previewing Badger football um, I'll be on Twitter that night. Uh, hope everyone joins me and, you know, watching the game as the Badgers open up uh, the season on Saturday night against Illinois state at 6 PM. Johncastpodcast.com. What else? Oh, go rate and review on Apple or Spotify. If you haven't, that really helps. It takes like three seconds. You just like hit five stars or you know what? Maybe hit four. Yeah, I'm not, I don't want to tell you how to vote. I don't want to do that. Um, but um, that would also be much appreciated. So, uh, thank you again for listening to this episode of the John. K- oh, one last thing. If you guys um, listen to the volleyball broadcast on the radio this season, there'll be a surprise for you during one of the commercial breaks. That's all I'm going to say for now. I want, I want uh, people here who listen to this podcast, tune into volleyball at Friday night at eight or Sunday at one. And you should hear the surprise I'm talking about during a commercial break. That's all I'm going to say for now. All right. Thanks for listening to the John Cass podcast. Goodbye.